You've seen our research on social media. Now, join us as we dive deeper into the public health topics of our time, featuring new studies and findings generated by our faculty and researchers committed to advancing health equity. From the Department of Population and Public Health Sciences at Keck School of Medicine of USC, this is Preventive Pros, the podcast. I'm Daniel Stram, and I'm a professor of biostatistics in the uh, department. And uh, I'm involved in a number of different studies. In fact, I wrote a book on genetics. I basically published my notes from uh, from my uh, class in, in a book that came out about 10 years ago now. Most Since that point, I've been involved in a lot of radiation studies. I became involved in this because I had a chance to work with somebody that I respected for many years. Well, his name is Dale Preston, and I knew him when I was first at the um, working in the radiation area. My first job before I came to USC was to work on uh, the atomic bomb survivor study. And uh, that study, you know, is still ongoing um, after. I don't know how many decades it is now, six, I guess. And uh, I got involved in the question about the uncertainty in dosimetry estimates uh, for the atomic bomb survivor study. And it was my interest in that aspect, which turned out to be fairly fruitful, because uh, when I came to USC, Initially, I wasn't doing any work like that, but I soon uh, got a grant to do some similar work in the um, Colorado Plateau uranium miners cohort. This was uh, people that were working usually in very small, often unventilated mines and getting rather extraordinary high doses of radon. The study that I really want to talk about is the um, uh, Mayak worker study and the Techa River cohort study. The Mayak plant was where the Soviet Union made its first plutonium for its nuclear weapons program. And they tested their first weapon in 1949. Um, So they had built this big plant very quickly. There's there's many steps to getting plutonium out of reactor, um, using a reactor to irradiate uh, uranium, I believe is what happens. They built this plant very quickly, and they were not mindful about um, minimizing doses to workers. Uh, There were a large number of people, including many women, as well as men who got quite large radiation doses. And two types are of interest. One is uh, internal exposure to plutonium itself, and then the other is external exposure to gamma rays from the nuclear reactor, basically. The Techa River Project is the, um, the other one that we're involved in studying. 
the study of a small river, people that were living along a small river at the time, villagers, um, living really a very rural lifestyle. And uh, uh, using the, uh, the creek or small river as a source of water and for cooking and for bathing and for all kinds of things. And just getting close to the river without even consuming it, you know, it was giving measurable amounts of dose as well. Now, some of the villagers were evacuated, but many of the other ones, especially from the largest village, uh, were not, even though they were high, really high dose. I should indicate that the doses to the Techa River cohort were generally much lower than the higher um, occupational doses. But nonetheless, there were enough that we can detect today, we can detect uh, increased rates that are statistically significant in that cohort, as well as a very profound dose response effect in the, um, in the worker study. What are the health effects of this kind of exposure? Well, cancer is the number one, uh, and um, it's you, it's different for plutonium uh, compared to gamma rays. Plutonium is not very penetrating. It actually, uh, more precisely, um, what happens is the plutonium, uh, when the plutonium atom disintegrates, it releases an alpha particle which is a helium nuclear charged with no electrons. And it does a lot of damage to the tissue very close to where the, um, the source is. So, uh, so lung cancer um, and liver cancer and bone cancer are the classic cancers that are caused by plutonium exposure. And that's because plutonium, first of all, it's the main source of uh, intake was um, inhalation, uh, but then it would reside in the lung and it slowly be um, bio deactivated by the liver. So the, so the liver uh, cancers were high, were high in that cohort. And, uh, and then also it's kind of a bone seeker so that some of the, um, uh, ended up in the bone surface. It didn't cause leukemia, but it, it caused um, uh, bone cancer, excess of bone cancer. It causes cardiovascular disease as well. And there's been some studies of, of cardiovascular disease and uh, overall mortality. So the role in my studies is kind of a technical one. Um, the dosimetry systems that are used today have gotten very complicated and they kind of have been stressing the limits of what epidemiology just know how to do. And um, so what, what we've been providing, uh, myself and, uh, and my colleague, Dale Preston, and Dale is the subcontractor on my grant. So what we've been providing is statistical expertise. He's been involved in the studies for 30 years. And uh, so my, my 10 
There's <laughs> only a small fraction of his 30. But what we've been focusing on is taking a dosimetry system that provides many different uh, versions of possible true dose. And then, so instead of just getting one estimate of best dose for each person in the cohort, then what we're getting is many estimates, as many as a thousand estimates of possibly true dose for the whole cohort. Dale and myself have kind of taken it on to try to figure out what to do with those thousand versions of possibly true dose. And so we have a, developed a statistical method, which we call the corrected information matrix method, SIM for short, C-I-M. And, uh, and we're now doing some comparisons of that approach with other approaches that some other people uh, have developed, also working in radiation epidemiology. And one thing that is important, I think, that other studies also use these multiple realization approaches. And I'm familiar with some work in air pollution. So it's possible that the methods that are developed uh, and tried out here will be important for uh, in that field as well. The idea is we want to incorporate the uncertainty and dosimetry into the risk estimate um, that we get. My work is informative in the um, space of radiation protection because the risk estimates um, that drive the radiation protection system are based on studies of humans, you know, uh, and, uh, and there's a number of large studies. One of the gaps for a long time were, was information about extended exposures to radiation, as opposed to what happened with the atomic bomb survivors. The atomic bomb survivors received almost all of their dose within a few seconds of the um, explosion. And uh, there was some fallout in various places, but most of it went out to sea. So the atomic bomb survivor study, because of its uh, you know large size, is really has was really the only or the main source of information about exposure. But it was instantaneous exposure. And what what's needed also for radiation protection is information about uh, extended exposure. So worker studies are a natural place to get information about extended exposures. So that's a major focus of these two Russian studies that I've been talking about. But also, um, plutonium emits, you know, a very heavy particle. And there was, so this might have relevance to other uh, exposures to those kind of particles. And one, one source of, of, of real interest actually, uh, is the um, exposure to astronauts that, who are on something like a moon mission or a Mars mission. Uh, and because uh, cosmic rays are 90% are or more um, 
relatively heavy particles. Smaller fraction are actually alpha particles. You know, the same thing that uh, the plutonium is causing lung cancer in the workers. Then there's also a lot of helium atoms. They're still very big compared to uh, the um, energetic photons. So that uh, is one area of potential use. And then in general, the question of whether low-dose exposure extended over a long period of time is as effective as a single dose. I mean, that's, that's been a, that is now being addressed in other studies. So the gap is slowly closing um, in terms of our knowledge about, about extended versus instantaneous exposure. We're trying out a number of methods that are unique or at least not, not used previously in these kind of studies. I think it's important to understand that one of the other contexts is, is that the overall total um, amount of radiation that people are getting has gone up over the last few decades. That's because of the introduction of you know things like CAT, stand, CAT scans and uh, other diagnostic procedures. Because of that, understanding the risk of these medical exposures is important. If you have some reason to get a large number of CT scans, you know, then the possibility, of course, is that your risk of cancer is raised. It's difficult to study that. Well, one thing, you can't do a randomized study. But also, who is it that is getting a lot of CT scans? Well, it may be people that are already sick, and and maybe maybe you know their, their risk of cancer is elevated already. Preventive Pros, the podcast, is produced by the Department of Population and Public Health Sciences at Keck School of Medicine of USC. To learn more about any of our episodes, or to subscribe to our monthly Preventive Dose newsletter featuring the latest in public health research and news, visit pphs.usc.edu forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.